Hello everyone, welcome to Walking with God in the Storm. This is a weekly podcast and I'm your host, Dwayne Harold. I would first like to thank the kind people at Stowtown Records for allowing me to use the intro song, which is titled After the Storm. This song is sung by the Irwins, who have won a Dove Award, and they've also been nominated for a Grammy Award. This song can be streamed and downloaded at all digital outlets. If you would like to hear more of their great songs, I will have a link in this podcast that will take you to their project called Wait and See. Now, last week, I talked about the loss of all of my family in a relatively short time frame. On this episode, I want to talk about my various health issues that I've had and currently have. Again, as I said last week, this is not to gain any type of sympathy. I don't feel sorry for what I've gone through. I don't feel sorry for myself. This is strictly to let people know that they are not alone in what they do go through in this life and that they can survive the storm that life brings. Around early 2000 or so, I started having some fluid retention issues. After monitoring this problem for about a year or so, my doctor put me on a fluid pill to help me get the fluid out of my body. And uh, the flu pill that I was prescribed, it did work for a period of time. However, as time went by and I got older, the fluid buildup throughout my body slowly increased. It caused me to uh, have to get on an additional fluid pill for a while. Then as more time went by, I was placed on a high dosage of Lasix and an additional fluid pill to try to get all the fluid off that was causing my whole body to start swelling. And all during the first part of 2013, I'd been hurting in my chest with pain going down my left arm. I pretty much knew, to be honest, what was going on, but I guess like a lot of humans, I thought if I ignored the pain, it would simply disappear. However, it became so bad that on August the 23rd of 2013, I finally went to a hospital ER and told them what was happening. Where I worked uh, to the hospital was only one block. I had to stop two or three times to try to get my breath and just to try to make it over there. As I'm also walking across the street to the hospital, I called my wife, Laura, to let her know what was going on. She immediately left the house and came up to the hospital And when she got into the ER, they were just in the process of rushing me from the ER to a heart cath lab to do a heart cath. I remember her repeating these words, don't do this to me, don't do this to me. And she was frantic as she didn't know or what all was going on. And of course, she didn't want me to die. Then she would uh, be all alone. If I had have died, as all of my family, as I'd already said, had already passed away by this time. And she told me later that she didn't know what she would have done or where she would have lived had I passed away. Because her family was scattered in three different states. While they were doing the heart cath, they discovered that the left anterior descending artery was 95% blocked. They put a stent in and told my wife they... Honestly, didn't really know how I was still alive, as this artery is called the widow maker. 
After the stent was put in, I was taken to a recovery room where I was supposed to stay for about three hours or so before being released to go on home. As I was in the room for, I don't know, maybe an hour or so, I suddenly felt an intense, sharp pain shoot through my heart. I immediately told my wife about the pain, and when the heart doctor came in to check on me to see how I was feeling just before releasing me, I told him about the intense pain that had occurred. He immediately ordered uh, blood work that checks for heart attacks and different things. And after all the blood work uh, had been drawn over about a three-hour time span, he came into the room and said that I did definitely have a, a heart attack at that time. He further stated that it had done some mild damage to my heart. A couple of months leading up to May of 2014, I started having some stomach issues. After some testing, they stated that I would have to have my gallbladder removed as it had uh, gallstones in it, and they were too big to try to remove laparoscopically. So the gallbladder was removed with no complications. However, after the surgery, I was advised that while they were removing the gallbladder, they saw where the top part of my liver was gray. I was diagnosed as having cirrhosis of the liver, and I was confused as how could I have this disease. I mean, I'd never drank any type of alcohol and never even had a sip of alcohol. They told me that there were two different kinds of cirrhosis of the liver. One is associated with drinking alcohol, and one is associated with too much fat in the liver. The type that I had was what is called fatty tissue cirrhosis. And this occurs when the liver can no longer process fat that is in the foods that we eat and remove it from the liver. It is also associated with type 2 diabetes and heart disease, which I have both. I was referred to an internal medicine physician for some follow-up on this. I went to the specialist, and for about the next year and a half, uh, he did blood work every month to kind of see how things were going. And each time uh, the results came back, they were a little worse and a little worse than the previous month's results. Also, during the same time, and even several years prior, as I've already mentioned, my kidneys were not working as well as they should be. It was really starting to have a lot of fluid retention more and more. And the retention was mostly in my feet, ankles, and calves, but there were quite a few days that my hands and fingers were also swollen, and with them being swollen, kind of hard to close somewhat. A couple of months after my wife had passed away, I, I started to feel tired and, and weak. I just didn't seem to have much energy, nor really wanted to really do anything. After feeling this way for a couple of months or so, I, I went back to my heart doctor and talked to him and explained to him how I was feeling. The doctor decided to do another heart cath, and when he did, he said that everything looked good and he didn't see any problems with the heart. So I thought, well, I, I didn't feel depressed, but maybe because of all the family being gone and I was by myself, uh, maybe I was depressed and I just didn't recognize the symptoms of 
being depressed and because I've heard some people say when they were depressed they just didn't have energy and since I didn't have any energy or desire to do stuff I said well maybe I am depressed around February of 2016 my internist recommended that I I go to a specialty hospital that does transplants just to get my name into their computer system. He said that he believed it might be a few years before I would need a transplant, but just to be on the safe side, he wanted me to go ahead and see a transplant doctor. When he said the word transplant, to be honest, it shocked me. I I never really considered the fact that one day I would need a liver transplant. And uh, I had heard that the liver can have a part of it surgically removed, and over a period of time, it would rejuvenate or, or regrow. So I asked him about this possibility, and he stated that in some instances, this does work. However, as I had cirrhosis of the liver, it would not work in my case. He said that cirrhosis of the liver affects the entire liver, and not just a part of it. So therefore, a transplant was the only option that I had. He set up a referral for me to go to Oshner Hospital in New Orleans, Louisiana. I was contacted by a transplant department coordinator to come for some tests and to talk with a transplant doctor. By this time, I was already feeling the results of both the failing liver and kidneys, but I didn't realize at that time just how much these two organs affect the entire body. I was getting more and more lethargic, and at times simply did not feel like doing anything, going anywhere, nor did I want to. It was as though I, I didn't have the will to do anything, but in reality, what was happening was my body was slowly shutting down. And when I did go to Oshner in March of 2016, I had asked my best friend if he would go with me to see the doctors. Uh, there were times that I was already, didn't feel like, for lack of terminology, like I was really there. My memory was already being affected. And uh, to where I didn't always remember some things that I was told or saw or, or heard. He said that, yes, he would go and uh, be my support and listen to what the doctor uh, had to say to make sure I had an understanding, a good understanding of what they were going to be talking about. When we arrived that uh, first trip, the only thing that they did at this time was to draw blood. Uh, about 30 minutes to an hour later, uh, after the, re the lab results were back, we met with uh, one of the transplant doctors. We talked a few minutes about how I was feeling, and she asked a few questions. Then, <laughs> out of nowhere, she hit me with a sledgehammer. She said that I needed both a liver and a kidney transplant. When she said that to me, I, I just, I couldn't believe my ears, and I was in total shock. All I said was, okay, as I didn't know what else to say or what was there to say. She advised me that she would have a transplant coordinator contact me and, and set up the different appointments for me to come back for a battery of tests, and I do mean a slew of tests. 
I made a total of four trips to Oshner's. Each trip was for between three and five days being at Oshner's so they could run their various tests that they put you through. All the different tests were completed around the latter part of May, and they said that I would be contacted with the results as to whether I was a candidate uh, for the transplant or not a candidate. I can honestly say, though, that during all of the testing and and waiting to hear back from them that I was never concerned about having the transplant. I, I knew that God was going to take care of me. I had complete peace of mind concerning the transplant. Philippians 4 and 7 says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I, I, I truly do not understand how during everything I had already gone through, losing all of my family, having a heart attack, and, and now needing a liver kidney transplant, I don't understand how I did have peace about everything, a calmness about it. I wasn't worried about going through the transplant or, or surviving the transplant or anything. I mean, I mourn for all my family, uh, as probably was evident last week, and, and I still do, and some days uh, more so than others, but through it all, God's peace has always been there for me. At the beginning of June 2016, I received both a phone call and a letter from Oshner saying that I had been approved and was being placed on the transplant list. Then around August of 2016, I received a letter from Oshner saying that uh, I was temporarily being removed from the active uh, transplant list. I'd been having some labs drawn every week uh, per the request of Osher so they could monitor uh, the blood work and everything. And the results showed that the red cell count in my blood was getting lower and lower each week. They advised that once it was determined why the red cell count was dropping, then they would place me back on the active transplant list. I went several times to a, to a local oncologist there in Monroe where I was living at the time and he said that I had an enlarged spleen but as far as why the red cell count kept dropping he did not know why even with all the blood work and everything that he was doing. So from around April or so of 2016 I could tell that my health had really started going down. I was starting to have issues staying at, awake at work and any time that I was still, I would tend to go to sleep. My concentration was not what it should be, and which definitely was a problem as I was an investigator with the local sheriff's office. At first, I did not understand what was happening within my body or to my body. I didn't realize just how much the liver and kidneys filter out different chemicals that our bodies naturally produce. Some of these, uh, if not filtered out, can become toxic and very deadly. One of these chemicals is ammonia. What was happening to me was because the liver was not functioning properly. 
It was not filtering out the ammonia as it should. And when the liver doesn't filter out all the ammonia, the kidneys then typically do filter out the rest of that chemical and other chemicals. But because the kidneys were also not functioning as they're designed to, the ammonia levels would sometimes reach a dangerous level in my brain. I mean, the levels are in the blood. That's where the chemicals are. But as the blood goes also through the brain, sometimes, in my case, the ammonia would stay in the brain. And, and when this occurs, some of the symptoms are sleepiness, being lethargic, being confused, unresponsive, and even going into a coma. There are many times going home from work, uh, and I only lived like 15 minutes from work, but I just couldn't make it. I, I'd have to find a place to pull over or to park, and because I was just so sleepy, I, I couldn't stay awake. And I might would sleep anywhere from just around 15 minutes to maybe a whole hour, roughly, before I felt like I could make it home safely. And there were a lot of times when I did arrive home, whether I had stopped and slept on the way home or not, I might have to sleep in the car for a while before I was able to go inside, before I would just felt like having the energy or, or the will to, to go inside. There were several times that I would sleep sometimes uh, most of the entire weekend and not even remember anything whatsoever about that weekend. There were several times I would oversleep and be late for work. If in a few cases I could even go into the office. Sometimes when I would wake up on a work day, I would be in such a confused state of mind that I could not figure out even how to use a cell phone to call work and to let them know I just couldn't make it to work. I was just, nothing seemed to make sense or, or, or to, I couldn't comprehend things. I had previously let everybody know at the sheriff's office, in my office uh, where I was in and the higher ups that what I was going through there and, and they were very, very understanding. From my direct major all the way up to the sheriff himself, they were very accommodating, and, and they worked with me, which I appreciated then, and trust me, I still do appreciate it today. After my wife, whom I'd been married to for about 34 and a half years, had passed away, I, I said that I would, well, that I never planned on dating or getting remarried, but didn't rule it out. I never said I would never, I just didn't plan on it. However, if you've been around long enough in this life, uh, God so many times has different plans for our lives than what we do. I read in the Reader's Digest many, many years ago, which is kind of maybe dating myself, but it was a, a saying at the end of a story. It said this, Want to make God laugh? Tell him your future plans and and that is so true. How many of us have made plans and have never materialized those plans then for whatever reason? I will not go into all the details, but in September of 2016, 
I attended the fall conference of the AOJC, the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was held in Ball, Louisiana. When I arrived, I was greeted by Carolyn Mobley, whom I had known when we were very young. Our families had we'd gone to Brother Foster's church in West Monroe uh, together, and I'd actually dated her oldest sister in my teen years. After the church service was over, several of us went into the fellowship hall to eat, and if you know anything about Pentecostals, we love to eat. As I was getting ready to leave, the, the Lord spoke to me. Again, it was not an audible voice, yet I heard his voice and my spirit in my head. And this was the same voice that I spoke about in last week's podcast, which had said that I would soon be alone. And as I recounted in last week's podcast about each loss, it did happen in a relatively short time, like God said it would. What the Lord said to me this time was that I was going to marry Carolyn. I said, oh, Lord, no, no, no. Uh, we're just friends, neither of us looking to date, to remarry. And Carolyn had lost her husband several years prior due to, to a motorcycle accident, and she had made it clear that she was never, never, never going to remarry, never used the word never, and that's just a thought of mine. The Lord said to me a second time that I was going to marry her, and when he said it the second time, my feelings for her literally went from being mere friends to being madly in love with her, and I could not imagine my life without her. We were married on November 26, 2016, a little over two months after God said I would marry her. You see, God sees what is down the road when we, we can't, and, and we don't have a clue as to what's going on or what the future and the next few weeks or months is going to hold for us. As I've already stated that my health was going down fast and God knew this as he sees all. He knew that I would need a helpmate in the very near future as I would not have been able to go through the transplant without help. One of the times I had uh, gone to officers during some of the testing, I had to attend uh, a session with people that needed all kinds of transplants, uh, hearts, livers, kidneys, pancreas, lungs. And one of the things they told us all is that after the transplant, for a few weeks after we were discharged from the hospital, that we would need somebody with us for 24-7, or they would not do the transplant. You know, God just works miraculously. The first part of October of 16, after I'd become engaged, I had an appointment to go to MD Anderson in Houston, Texas, and the appointment was to see if they could figure out why my red cell counts were so low. After the hospital ran some tests, they said that my enlarged spleen was due to me needing a kidney liver transplant. They, they told me that once I had the transplant, then the spleen would go back down and the red cell counts would become back to normal. And once I notified Oshners with the report from MD Anderson, I was placed back on the active transplant list. 
On Monday, October the 31st, 2016, I had to uh, have my best friend take me to have cataract surgery. I, I remember getting home that afternoon and, and telling my friend that I'd see him in the, the next day, the next morning, because I had to uh, go back for a follow-up just to make sure everything was working uh, like it should be and no problems, no complications. I remember walking up the steps into my RV that I was living in at the time, and I, I sat down on the love seat. To be honest, that is the last thing that I remember until three days later on Thursday around noonish. When my friend came the next day to take me to my appointment, he later told me after the fact that I was totally unresponsive. I was just staring straight ahead. My eyes were open, but I would not verbally respond to anything that he said. So he called for an ambulance to take me to the hospital. Uh, he said when the ambulance got there, I actually walked down the steps, but I don't remember him coming. I don't remember the ambulance being there. I don't remember uh, the ride of the ambulance. I don't remember the hospital, uh, ER. After he called the ambulance, he uh, contacted my future wife, Carolyn, to let her know what was going on. And she later told me that when she arrived at the hospital that Tuesday afternoon, the attending ER doctor asked her several questions, including if I had a living will. She advised him that I, I do. And the ER doctor said, well, you know what that means. She said, if he codes, then we can't revive him. The doctors actually did not believe that I would survive the night due to the excessive amount of ammonia level in my blood and was also in my brain. Carolyn was later told that I, had I arrived just even just a few short hours later, I would not have survived the night. They pumped some type of medicine in me to try and bring the ammonia levels down. Uh, I don't even remember her being at the hospital on that Tuesday or Wednesday. She said she came back the next day, brought me a, a, a Sonic burger and a strawberry milkshake. Is I love strawberry milkshakes, but I don't remember that. From Monday afternoon around 5, 5.15 till around noon on Thursday, I don't remember anything that occurred. And this near-death experience was two and a half weeks before we were to be married on November the 26th. February the 7th, 2017, about 11.10 a.m., I, I received a call from Moshner Transplant Coordinator. She asked me if I could uh, be able to come down to New Orleans as they had organs en route for me to do a transplant. This call came nine months after I had originally been placed on the organ transplant list and only four months after they had put me back on the active list. The average wait time for a kidney transplant is between three and five years. I immediately said yes, of course, and headed home to 
you have a ready bag, which I already had packed with uh, clothes and necessary items that I would need for the few weeks that I would be down there. So I called Carolyn and asked her that I was headed to her because she lived in Pineville. And uh, this way she could drive me in to New Orleans. Uh, when we did arrive at the hospital around 5 that afternoon, because uh, there was some bad weather we went through, and it slowed us down a lot. Uh, but when we arrived, they, they had a room ready for me to wait in until the organs arrived. However, because of the bad weather all over the state of Louisiana at the time, the, the organs arriving, uh, we had, or delaying the organs arriving, we had to wait almost 10, 10 hours before they uh, could even start the surgery. After the surgery was finished, one of the doctors came to Carolyn and talked with her for a few minutes. Doctor said that everything went smoothly. Uh, she also said that when they went to remove my liver, they saw that I was in stage four of liver failure, and the liver almost fell into pieces because it was so far gone. I was blessed that I only missed six weeks of work after the surgery. I had not had any problems or issues since that transplant. A day or two after the surgery, I was in the hospital room when a nurse came into the room to change out my bandages. And when she removed the bandages where they had cut me to uh, take out the old liver and insert the new liver, Carolyn was around the foot of the bed at the time. And... When they had got through the surgery, they had put 89 staples in the upper part of my abdomen to hold my skin back together. She told me that when she looked at those staples from the foot of the bed, she said that she saw a frown on my stomach. I was kind of confused at first, and when I looked down to where the staples were, what I saw was a smile. Life sometimes is how we look at things as to how we will cope with what life storms bring to us. From her angle, she saw a frown. But from my angle, what I saw looked like a smile to me. And just as a side note on organ donations... There are many people who die daily while waiting for an organ to be donated. Per the HRSA organdonor.gov website, as of December the 29th, 2023, there are 103,327 men, women, and children on the national transplant list. 17 people die each day. waiting for an organ transplant. Every donor that becomes an organ donor can save up to eight lives and enhance over 75 more lives. There were 42,000 plus transplants performed in the year 2022. Every 10 minutes, another person is added to the transplant list. And just in case you're wondering, more than organs can also be donated. 
Skin tissue and cornea can also be donated. I have a pastor friend uh, who will be one of my guests uh, to be interviewed. He was born legally blind. Uh, a few years ago, he was blessed to have one of his corneas, uh, a transplant cornea, which has helped him to see somewhat. I did not know that my late wife was an organ donor until after her death when the doctor came to me and said, uh, do you want to proceed with the organ donation? And I didn't know what she was talk he, he was talking about until he told me that she was listed as an organ donor. You can sign up to be an organ donor through your state's local motor vehicle department. If you have an iPhone, you can use the health app as it sends your information to a national computer system. Also, if you do become an organ donor, please let your family know what your wishes are so that they should know what you want should, heaven forbid, anything happen to you. They will know and not be surprised when the doctor asks them if they can proceed with the removal of donated organs. As a blessed organ recipient, please know that I am here right now only because someone was willing to be a donor. I am forever grateful for whoever that person was who had made the decision to be an organ donor and for their family who agreed for the organ donation. Please consider being an, an organ donor as you never know whose life and their family's life you will have an impact upon. As I am very hard-headed, from around March of 2022 through the latter part of October 22, I was again having chest pain and, yes, ignoring it yet again. Finally, I, I said something to my heart doctor, and he scheduled a, a heart calf. And when they did this heart cath, I had one artery about 90% blocked, and two arteries were about 80% blocked. So they placed three more stents in me, and I was advised that I had a fourth artery that it was about 60% blocked. Many years to finding, prior to finding out that I needed the transplant, I'd been diagnosed as being a diabetic, which runs on both sides of my family. Two first cousins on mom's side, a uh, child from childhood, uh, were diabetic. And then my father found out when he was late 60s that he was diabetic. Also, uh, I've, before all of this even, I, I found out I was, like I said, diabetic. And I had a originally be placed on a, a sugar pill and now I'm on a sugar pill and a long acting insulin once a day and then a short acting insulin before each meal and then uh, also an ejection once a week just to help my pancreas to produce insulin. Also several years prior to the surgery I had been diagnosed as having what my dermatologist calls precancer skin cells. This means uh, that I have to go three, four, maybe five times a year to let her 
check my scout for areas that can and has on a few occasions turned into skin cancer. I've had six different skin cancers to, to have to be removed surgically from my head just in the last two years. Two of those required skin grafts. And with me being on anti-rejection drugs due to my transplant system, or transplant, which lowers my immune system, it allows the skin cancers to develop more frequently. So my transplant doctor at Oshner has reduced the dosage on, on one of my drugs to try and prevent the skin cancers from developing, or at least developing as often as they have been. I'm also currently having to apply a type of chemo cream on the potential cancer spots. Through all of my family losses and, and issues with my health, God has always been there for me. There's a song I love by the Legacy Five that says it all for me, sums it all up. The title of the song is called God's Been Good. And in some of the lyrics and the chorus are these. And though I've had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could. Because through it all, God's been good. And it is so true. God has been so very good to me that I can never thank him enough for all that he's done for me throughout my life. And I, I know that for some people out there that's listening that what I've gone through losing my family and also due to my health issues may sound like a lot compared to themselves or to other family members or to people they know but to others what I have gone through is nothing compared to their own personal life or a life of a loved one even though my sister-in-law passed away slowly from cancer she was blessed that she never had any physical pain. So I've never had to watch a family member slowly suffer with excruciating pain because of cancer. I've never had to watch a child of mine suddenly be taken away from this life and to have to bury them. I have never had to watch a parent slowly disappear because of dementia or Alzheimer's. I've never had to go through a bitter divorce whether or not children were involved. I've never had to deal with the aftermath when a family member, for whatever reason, decides to take their own life. I have never had a child or a spouse to slowly drift away to alcohol or to drug abuse. I've never been in a family where there is constant physical or mental abuse. So because I have been through many things in, in my own life, I can relate to many people out there that are listening to this podcast. However, unless I myself have experienced certain situations in life, then I can't relate to or, or fully even understand what people have gone through or, or maybe what they're going through now. I might know people who have had different storms in, in their life other than what I've had, but it's one thing to know about certain types of pain and suffering, but it is not the same as actually going through that type of storm.
And that's why I wanted to do this podcast, Walking with God in the Storm. I want to interview different guests who have experienced different adversities that life has brought to them. Let them talk about how they were able to survive their own personal pains that the storms have brought to them. It's my desire that whoever listens to these interviews or of other people who have survived life struggles will be encouraged and hopefully uplifted just to know that they too can make it through the storm that life has unfortunately brought to them. And after today's podcast, I will be interviewing different people, different guests, so please don't worry that I will be the only one talking in the other podcast. So please listen in every week to this podcast, Walking with God in the Storm, to hear other people talk about their own life storms and and how God brought them through. And may the good Lord keep his hand of protection and encouragement upon each and every one of you. And may the Lord bless you and see you next time.